vision is different than a goal or an objective. So to get past average, you understand better than anyone, we have to get to a place that's beyond our current capabilities or what we think is our current capabilities. And we need to suspend three things. How much money we have, how much time we have, and how much ability we have. Because that's all stuff that we can collaborate with other people if we're clear enough about our vision. Vision is the rarest commodity, the rarest commodity in the world, and it drives all value and dollars follow value. So if we can create a vision that's so compelling it would take our lifetime to accomplish it, we create a life we don't want to retire from. All right, everybody, welcome to the Average Sucks Podcast. Super excited about today, and one of the biggest reasons is this entire show is about people that live above average lives, have above average information, and people like to dominate at what it is they do, and people are really dedicated to their passion, the pursuit of really making a difference in the world. So our guest today, I, I gotta tell you, we, we had a drive up from the airport. He's out here for his show at the Improv, and he just sold out Vegas here a couple days ago, is one of the most powerful entrepreneurs that I know because he's found a way to not only serve and help other entrepreneurs, but he really on a regular basis developing himself into, or I would call it like a super entrepreneur. And Gary Gunderson, what's so powerful about what he does is he's found his traits that he has from using comedy to business to life to becoming even a better you know father, a better husband and everything, dialing it all in to help all of us do those same things. So we all talk about on a regular basis how to get ahead financially and whether it's from a tax perspective, whether it's from a wealth perspective, it's one of the most complicated things in the world. So why not use the power of language, the power of comedy, the power of understanding to show you exactly how to take your money, your wealth, and make your economics be where it is they're capable of being. So without that said, and a further said, Garrett Gunderson, super excited that you're here. And if we could only bring them to that conversation we had in the car, um, everybody's gonna win today. So we, and we welcome did to the show. capture some of that, so who yeah, knows, you know? We got it, so I think absolutely. that like average sucks, so we're above average height. Yep. Above average depth to our voice. Absolutely. You know? Who's got a deeper voice? You definitely have a okay. deeper voice. I'm yeah, do, I'm just doing that. You, it's kind of like doing the extra push-ups for the beach. I'm you're, you're taller and flexing you have right a now. Voice. All right, but I have more hair. I got to tell you, and you, my friend, at this point, have sold more copies of this New York Times bestseller, "Killing Sacred Cows." And I got to tell you a story about this book real quick. And everybody's yep. got to go find this and get it. I'm sure I'll show you how. If not, you can Amazon while you're watching this right now. Or and something. the good news, it's in stock. It was $125 for a while on Amazon right. this because is like it was out of stock. So original kind of cool. OG version. Quick story about this, uh, 2009 or 10, I get a Facebook message, literally from a guy I don't even know. I don't know how powerful your message is. This guy, like, somehow, like, before bots were existed, dude, get this book. And he had no idea he got a buyer that buys everything. I mean, it doesn't matter what infomercial I watch, I buy everything. And I got this, and in the middle of the night, I think I had to download the Kindle app. You might have been my first Kindle nice. like, like book that I ever had on an old iPad one. And I downloaded the book, started reading it, and I said, holy shit, my parents, misguided me when it comes to money and everything I learned in school was wrong. And this book was a huge eye opener for me. Like it took like little concepts of rich dad, poor dad and took them like, and it was absolutely incredible. So I got to tell you, this is amazing. When I, I don't uh, want to compare the two things, but when I did the audio book of it, I waited like a long time. I did it like 2018. And when I was reading it, I was like, damn, I can't believe I knew this stuff back then. <laughs> I was, I was impressed. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this. Um, 
What are you up to these days? What's going on? I know you're here for a comedy show, which yeah. I'm super excited about. I want to talk about the transition from from business entrepreneur, changing people's lives financially to comedy. I want to get there. Yeah. Yet, okay, well, let's just start there. What makes somebody do that? Like, how do you do that? Like, how do you just go do that? The, it really started to happen in 2017 when I took a whole summer off and went to Italy. So, like, that was a big deal for me because... My wife's going to kill me if she watches this. She's wanting to go to Italy. So, we have to go to Italy now. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Good. All right. Good. It's going to be expensive okay. for you. Right. Thank but you. But you're going to love well, it. The, edit that part out. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. So, well, I always wanted to go to Italy for an extended period of time. I'd taken my wife one time for a week. Definitely and, edit this part out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then... But it was hard for me to imagine doing a summer there because my great-grandfather came over from Italy because he couldn't put food on the table. Literally. Not like how we figuratively say that. He literally wasn't making enough money came to the United States, became a goat herd, then eventually became a coal miner. So my grandfathers were coal miners. My dad was a coal miner. So to think about going to Italy for a summer was beyond where my mindset was at the time. Wow. And my level of like, am I worthy of that? Can I really do that? Even at your level of success, you were doubting yourself. I mean, because I was still addicted to work and I was still in the grind, even though like I had plenty of money, it was still this machine that I felt like I was an integral piece of it. But my CEO was like, let's figure this out when I said I want to do it. So I booked the villa. That's the key. It's because there's no ba backing out at that point in my mind. Right? Deposit down. Like, I'm like, all right, we, we're, we got the villa. And then we went to work on it. And the first two and a half weeks I was there, our numbers were down in the business. There was less sales. I'm looking at the Slack channel. I'm going, um, maybe this was a mistake. I was also just like not sure to do with myself because I had no schedule. It was just like, what do you want to do today? And it was like, there's, there's no agenda. There's no... So it took me two and a half weeks and getting really drunk one night and then talking to my wife and being like, what concerts should we go see before, like, you know, before we're dead? And this is in Italy. In Italy. And Elton John happened to be performing in Italy. So I'm like, cool, we're definitely going to Elton John. And that night, everything changed because one, my team started to figure out marketing without my involvement at all. The numbers started to change and I was able to kind of relax and we just started having a whole bunch of fun. And when I came back, it was like a renaissance for me. I realized like having a hobby, having some downtime, was a burst of creativity. And right when I got back, I took my wife to a baseball game, which are boring at times, let's, yeah. let's be honest. And so I'm telling jokes and she's like, that's kind of funny. I was like, I heard that as your well, comedic You God. were funny at a, at a baseball game. Yeah, and the fact that my wife said I was yeah. funny. Like my wife still says that her friend Gelsey is the funniest person on the planet and I'm a comedian. It's hurtful shit, man. You know what I'm saying? To this day she says goes. that? She does. All right. We're going to get her in next for an intervention work. But, so, yeah. yeah. So, but she said I was kind of funny. And then I spoke at Keith Yaki's event and he introduced me as effing hilarious. Okay. Like days later. So I told some jokes. People laughed and I called my buddy who's a comedian. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to do some comedy. Because as a kid, I always loved telling jokes because I could tell jokes without getting in trouble. Were you a class clown? Well, I wasn't really class clown because my mom would beat my ass if I were. Okay. But outside of the classroom, I was definitely, you know. Okay. Playground. Like, yeah. Playground. Playground. Like clown. Appropriate time clown. Okay. So my uncles were Mormon, but they could swear and tell jokes. And it was like, they didn't get in trouble. My other side was Catholic and those uncles were wild. And I was like, this is amazing. This like my family laughed loud. They had fun. So I was like, that's awesome. But it wasn't until I made my wife laugh and then came back from Italy that I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this as a hobby. And so I booked an open mic, did good enough that my buddies, the comedians, like you're going to open for me. Was this the show that you did that you sent me the one with uh, about your son? There was one that you have with, um, there was a, I don't like in a round the joke. Yeah. In a round, yeah. yeah. In a round room. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Was that, that was two years after my first, you know, open mic. Okay. So yeah. Cause that cracked And up. that's the night I got discovered. Really? Yeah. That's talk, the night talk to me I'm about managed. the process of getting discovered. <clears throat> I'd well, love to hear this. Yeah, so these, 
It's funny because I live in Utah. It's not like there's an epicenter of comedy in Utah. I mean, there's Wise Guys, which is a really cool club, and there's comedians that show up, but it's not like you're going, oh, you're a comedian. It's usually like, are you in New York or L.A.? That's what most people think. But that night... (laughs) From Salt Lake. (laughs) The guy that I was opening for was runner-up on Last Comic Standing. And the guy that produced the show happened to be there that night. And I got out and did 10 minutes, and he he said from the time he shook my hand, he knew that I would do a special. He's like, look, I'm 22 for 22 of figuring out, like, if someone's going to be good at this and get them a special. And so he's like, I could just tell from the time I met you. I was like, okay. So I went out, I had a good set. You saw that set. That was fantastic. My I, wife and I, we watched it that night because normally I cannot get her attention. When it's bedtime, she's ready. Like kids, everything. Yeah. It's like, we're done. Everything's done. I'm out. We've been up late from events and literally we stayed up, watched the entire thing and we're cracking up. She, he is good. So right. when I told her, I said, you're in town this weekend. She goes, babysitter, we got it. We'll be at the show. Love it. So, so, so yeah, that, that happened. And it took me like a year from that time to like develop because I had 20 minutes that I'd done. I think I'd maybe done 33 minutes at an event, but it was like to go from that to doing a special with like Emmy winning producers and Emmy winning video people that was a that was a bit of a leap so it took me until november of 2020 to finally be like i'm ready to write this i'm ready to go and do this got it so th- this, is, this is my question some insecurities along the yeah way. that's what i want to talk about so there's people watching this right now so you have mastered the art like if i would love you to give your backstory here real quick because i most i could say i'm gonna ask you to do what i would call the more annoying thing i'm not gonna say tell me about yourself so i'm gonna put this into perspective how would the audience understand if you had like 90 seconds, 60 seconds to explain what you dedicated the 15, 20 prior years to financially, like teaching what's in the books, yeah. what you've done, and then transitioning. I want to talk about the insecurity over to, because that's yeah. a big thing. A lot of people watching this have a business, but there's a business they're dreaming of doing. A lot of people watching this have what a great shot. Bingo. Yeah. And I believe you, this is twisted. I believe you found a way to do both. Yeah. I believe you're doing what you love to do that you're here to do on earth in a way that you love to do it, which is mind blowing. We're talking about that in the car. I get the chills saying it like comedy and finances together. That's ridiculous. It's blue ocean. Cause I mean, he's doing comedy and finances. It, it's, it's absolutely insane. I'm not the funniest comedian, but I'm probably the funniest financial. You're the funniest comedian. dude. I've been a financial event. So <laughs> shit's boring, right? Yeah. Shit's boring. So, um, 90 seconds, really straight up what you've been telling people yeah. for years. And cause I know a lot of them are going to yeah. find you and I'm gonna tell you, find his work, find out what he does. Your, your, your bank account, your business deserve it. And if you ever want to, I don't want to use the retire word cause none of us are really going to retire. Right. But if you ever want some level of not having to worry as much and really build this machine on the side. So your business is cute and nice and cute, but your machine creates wealth for you. Talk about that first yeah. dedication you had. Cause I'd love them to like, no, this is who you are, what's seeping out of you, and then the comedy, we gotta add to it. In June of 1998, I started in finance, standard, normal stuff, peddling life insurance, peddling mutual funds, and then the year Cold 2000, yeah, the year 2000 happens, the market goes down, and then things got real for me. I was like, what am I gonna really do? Because I'm not just gonna tell people they're in the, for the long haul. I'm not just gonna sit here and tell them to, you know, dollar cost average, because as you know, Average yep. sucks, average right? Sucks, yeah. And that's what dollar cost averaging is. It's yep. like, here's a way to be average. Yep. No, it's not for me. So I learned how to be efficient with money. How do people plug their leaks from taxes to interest to non-performing investment fees to insurance costs that aren't yeah. creating the right structure. So I did that and I really focused and studied that heavily. But I also realized if they didn't have the right perspective, no amount of money was going to help them. And that if they weren't financially independent, they were still going to be stuck trading time for money. So I got really good at helping people become financially independent within 10 years, plug their financial leaks, keep more of what they make without having to budget and investing back in themselves so they could actually add more value in the world. And most importantly, when money wasn't an obstacle and it became more of an ally, 
be able to have a vision that wasn't limited by time, money, or ability because they could collaborate. Were these people wealthy to get started? No, not really. I mean, okay. I mean, like not your definition of wealth, like what most wealth advisors were chasing, which is people with you know tens of money in of motion. They just sold their Google. I'm stock. like, hey, I'm looking for entrepreneurs. I'm not looking for startups. Didn't work with startups. Yep. Startups are speculative. Tons of them don't make yep. it, and they're just looking for some big payoff. I'm looking for entrepreneurs that are. It's their business. They're founders. They're putting all their money into it. They're trying to figure it out, but they're exhausted. Yep. That was the people because that's where I came from, and that's what I knew. Got it. So the people, the people we have watching this right now, and the reason this is exciting is because you you give an answer. So let me let me ask you this. Let's just put you on the spot. One technique, one idea, one little thing that everybody and their mother should be doing. They might know it already. Some of these folks, but what would be like one or two things that you'd say like immediately? We implemented this. Uh, they should they should maximize their tax arbitrage opportunities, which simply means stop spending a dollar to save thirty seven cents. Got it. That's deductions. Go for tax credits. You spend a dollar, you get more than a dollar. So R&D credits would be one. Employee retention credits, depending on when they're listening to this, would be one. You know, uh, I've, I've bought art and donated it, get $2 back for every dollar I've spent on it. If you own a lot of property, you could learn about conservation easements. If you want to buy property. Tax credits versus write-offs. Yep, like credits versus write-offs is a game changer. Most people are losing while trying to save tax. That's called let the tax tell wag the dog. I'm like, only spend money if you are going to spend it anyway or you're getting more money back for the money you spent. Most people are getting a portion of what they spent because they hate paying the government so bad that they destroy their wealth. Got it. Okay. Right there. That, that, that's the hot topic. And this is not something that people need to go Google, figure out how to do. You have this all laid out for people, correct? Yeah. And I actually, I'm going to put out a video on YouTube that just lays out the entire So they can't go to YouTube. Okay, yeah, good. They can yep. even go there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. GarrettGunderson.com or yeah, find you on YouTube. YouTube.com forward slash GarrettGunderson TV. Okay. Got yeah. it. Okay. We'll make, sure to, we'll make yeah. sure to add that. So yeah. the reason I bring it up, it's a mindset. So you were teaching mindset. So secretly you were you were on the on money's the, the hook. Money's the hook because everybody wants more money. Right. But secretly you were changing people's minds. Right. And that's you're like a money missionary. From well, Utah. I am from Utah. Yeah, yeah money missionary you know, from Utah. Yeah, yeah this, I look like Utah yeah, Jesus. You are Utah you know, Jesus. Yeah. I was gonna. If I got a lot of people. Longer, yeah, that's yeah. where the gray hair came yeah, from. Absolutely, he would have been gray, dude. Think yeah. of all the stress he was under. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. He had a lot of things to do. Got to get lot of, lepers. Lot of we got to lepers. We got to. We got to do all kinds. They got to live up to Moses. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on. Okay, so your hooks money. The mindset is what you're really teaching. What you're really thinking about, right? And getting people in the game with, and that really is what gets them to stay. And then you, your own, working on your own mindset, strong, confident person, when you get up there on stage, you're sharing this stuff, but you had this dream of being a comedian. Right. Talk to me about that because it's frustrating sometimes when you could teach someone else how to do it, but you still weren't doing the thing. What was that transition like to really walk somebody from just doing this to this? Because I think what happened, if I'm not mistaken, they were two separate things for a minute. There was comedy, yeah, I, might, I might checker some jokes into a speech, but that's different okay. because there's no danger in that and there's no uncertainty. Okay. Like you've seen me speak. I've seen you yeah. speak. If I'm going to speak on money, I'm good. Okay. Like I know what to say. Uh, it's like, a, it's like I look at money speeches like a really good jazz musician. Yep. You could put them in any band and they know what to do as long as, long as they know the cadence, you know, like, is it a four, four timing or what is it? Are we in B flat? Like they're going to be able to sound like they've been playing with that band forever. hundred percent. And that's how I felt about finance fit me into any event. If I talk about finance, which meant I was not excited about speaking at the same level of the uncertainty and the immediate feedback of comedy, because you don't know every crowd's different. Every experience is different. Is it, it, it I might say something I've never said before. I might like have a, someone not react. I might have someone heckle me like all that kind of stuff 
is so exciting. And at the same time, when people laugh, they remember three times more. And when people laugh, they're not worried about the future or they're not renew they're not ruminating in the past. They're simply present. And I think society and human beings are not present anymore because there's so much noise, there's so much confusion, there's so much complexity, there's so much division. And I feel like I have this secret elixir of how to create connection. Got it. So you're taking all your speak years of speaking. Years of speaking, so I have stage presence yes. and comfort. Now we got comedy over here. And you were able to merge these two together. Right. Walk, walk us. Tonight's through. not going to be very financial at the when you come to this. Like I'm just doing new material. I love it. Um, where my first comedy special, tons of finance in it. Talked inflation, talked Wall Street, talked tax, and made it funny. That's. I mean, that, I, mean, yeah. I don't think anybody's even thought about that before. Yeah, I mean, there's like little vignettes of it. Like if you watched Hassan Minaj's uh, Patriot Act, he did stuff on finance in that kind of format. Um, you know, like there's, there's comedians that did some funny stuff on student loans at one time. Like there's little pieces, but there's not really a category yet. And you're making it, but there is model. politics. So you're not supposed to talk okay. about politics. politics. There is religion. You're not supposed to talk about religion. Money is great the other one you're not supposed that, to though. talk about. I'm like, great. Most comedians couldn't talk about money because they don't know much about money because they, they're and the few that have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of money because they're great investors. Typically they have a lot of money because they built up a brand and a career. You know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't take investment advice from most of them because like, oh, you just, they got rich being a comedian. Yeah. It's like, cool. You just fill up this uh, stadium and people pay you. Oh, that's easy. And then you, and they use your brand for commercials. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's common. So, so walk me through this because this is going to help a lot of people. And I, I, this is an interesting direction. Um, The transition period going from, and I don't know how much you've thought about this before, but like really understanding the the frustration you teach mindset. And I even have this with things with myself. Like I have to then go do the work. And even though Mm -hmm. I teach it to someone, it may take me three weeks to get something I can help them in a minute. You said a few seconds ago that, that there was a point where you get uncertainty from what you're doing now. Did it get to where, I don't want to say boring, that's the wrong word, but did the magic that at the beginning in 2002 and three that you got from new stages and things, when you get great at something and it becomes automatic, does that go away? Yeah, it does. So I headlined at my hometown club on a Friday and a Saturday. Okay. And on a Friday, I did my American Ream stand-up set, which I've done a lot. I rehearsed a lot. It's very much like setup and punchlines. And 15 minutes in, I got bored. And in the your next own presentation. 45 minutes in my comedy, I was like bored because I would say the word, I said the word I don't know in the teens. Meaning, I don't know if I want to tell this joke, but I would say the word I don't know out loud. And so at the end of that day. It wasn't part of your skit. It was just, it's just that I was like, I don't want to tell that joke again. It's not, it, there's nothing that matters to me in that joke anymore. It's not fresh. So the next night, there was this woman, Tanya, that came, and she's a she's a great coach, and she had done some work for me, and she came Friday, and I said, hey, would you want to come back on Saturday because it's going to be a different night? And what I did is I just tossed away all my jokes. I wrote on some 3 by 5 cards some stories I thought that I should tell, and I just listened to it today on the, on the airplane just to prepare a little bit for tonight because I think I'll use some of those stories, and I just was in the danger of, like, how is this all going to work? And I was in the moment, and it was an amazing set. Like, I just, I didn't care whether the crowd was laughing because I was connected to them. I had moments where I'd go 30 seconds just telling a story that had no punchline just to get to the next thing, and they were with me, and they were cool with it. Then I would tell something. But the thing in comedy that I listened to my set from Vegas that I just did last week, and there was 10 minutes of that set that was completely unplanned. Some dude kept delay laughing in the front row. And when we said, <laughs> Is that an actual term? I don't know. I'm just making it up right now. I was like, we said, hey, how'd you get here? He goes, I woke up. And I was like, oh, we have a comedian in the crowd because it was me and my, my you know, the, the guy, Ian, that I'm on tour with. 
And so then he starts delayed laughing. I'm like, you said you're awake, but I don't believe you. I'm like, this is like two shows for me. I tell a joke, the crowd laughs, then you laugh later. It's twice the fun. I'm like, are you on Zoom? Is there a delay? I thought this was in person. And I'm just hammering him. He's laughing all impromptu, all on the spot. And that spontaneity creates excitement every time. I'm, I'm slightly nervous for tonight. I can't remember the last time I was nervous to speak. It's fantastic. You know, you got all your buddies like, here too, which is which is going to be a whole uh, interesting thing. Right, I got all my friends saying, "I hope yeah. you don't suck today," yeah. and I'm like, "Yeah, me either." So, what is that? Who did that motivational speech? Hope you don't suck. Joe tonight. Polish, of yeah, course. Joe, Joe, I mean, come Joe on, head man. motivator. Don't yeah. suck tonight. <laughs> don't yeah. suck. I'm inviting people. Don't don't mess it up. Got to got to love love Joe. It's yeah, go check him out too. It's his I got to tell you, yeah, Joe. Joe will love all over you. Don't suck tonight. Um, okay, so yeah, he's also saying to Ian. Who's funnier, you or Garrett? Oh, it, you you know, got, well, he's I'm, motivating I'm, you. I like, I like, great. Let's let's go ahead and see if we can divide this tour called Coming Together right from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. So uh, before you even get into this, I got to tell, tell tell us about the tour and tell us what's going on because this this will come out. There, there should be some of the dates involved. Yeah, and by the way, I do have a process of how you deal with the insecurities. Okay, I'm documenting. Well, I'm going to get back so to that in a second, that. but we're okay. going to go through. A, so like the tour a, last year, I did a 16 city tour, sold out most of the dates, and it was hard. I sold a house last year that yep. we lived in for nine years. Yep. I bought a new house. Yep. I, my best friend moved. My, uh, I sold my business. I, I did a comedy special. Too much. Like yep. I know average sucks, but there's a certain point where you're like, maybe just take a breath and take it just a little bit it does slower. make this year look easier. So this year I'm like, cool, I'm just going to do a couple headlines a month rather than a week. And what that does is give me some breathing room to write and to hang out with my family and to you know, stay healthy because I definitely yep. gained some weight on the tour yep, last year. Hotels and food. So we're just going to keep going uh, two, maybe three shows a month into perpetuity till I'm ready to film my special. And the special is called Life After Debt, D-E-B-T, Interesting. on the financial line. Yep. And Marty Kallner's directing it. And Marty just did the haul for Netflix. He won an Emmy with Seinfeld. He did Chris Rock's Kill the Messenger. George Carlin was his best man. He did the first ever MTV music video. Stuff. And we're just so connected. He loves it. And he, yeah. So he's the reason that uh, my comedy special is going to come out this year. I'm excited about that. So I'm super excited yeah. about that. I'm going to share that with everybody as well. So the reason I did the whole little like shift in the loop here yeah, and right Garrett now. Garrett B. Gunderson, B is in boy, That's is where you can go to the site that has the comedy tour. Got it. I have GarrettGunderson.com. That's a general You got to put the B in the middle. Garrett B. Gunderson. Yeah. For be as great. In, as be, be great, great. Yeah. you know. But just a letter B. Don't bitch, just yeah. show yeah, up. Just show yeah. up, yeah. 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 And just don't, don't suck, as yeah. Joe would say. don't suck. Don't suck. Okay, so um, the reason I jumped over there real quick, I want to finish that thought. It seems like we're all over the place, but my people are used to sp- jumping around. So with that said, to get back to the loop that we had, yeah. uh, you had a process for this. You didn't have a process Let's prior. Let's just keep loops open and then yes. close them by the end so close people them by stay the end, on, right? So, yeah, so yeah. they can figure it out. Yeah. So my question for you is, you didn't have a process prior, so you didn't walk into this. Okay, I got a perfect process. I'm going to pull it off the bookshelf. What I'm going to grab from my bookshelf is how to deal with insecurities. You figure it out in the moment? Yeah, so I figured it out out of sheer not sleeping and going, how am I going to do this thing that seems impossible? Was that the question you kept asking? I was like, how am I going to pull this off? Okay. Like, how is this going to happen? And so anything, whether it was the first time I wrote a book or whether it's the first time I did comedy... I, I outlined the process. The first, the very first thing is co-creation. So just finding one other person that I'm now speaking it to that's going to create accountability or that's going to help me create. So okay. when I'm like, all right, I want to do stand-up, I call Marcus, who yep. was runner-up on Last Comic Standing. Yep. I'm like, I'm, I want to do a set. Yep. What are you doing tomorrow? Can we sit down and, and go over these jokes I have? He goes, absolutely. So now I'm in co-creation. I've got more accountability. I've got more support. Huge. Someone that inspires me, someone that encourages me. Like he texts me, I know you're going to crush it tonight. You know, I just did a set for him on Friday. Uh, a couple nights ago, people know when we recorded awesome. this, so let me just say that. But uh, but 
co-creation, but the second step, this is the key. Eliminate escapism. When we get to a place, or especially me, but this is, I think is a thing for humanity where we're uncomfortable, escapism starts to take over. So escapisms can be as simple as getting caught up in a TV series or a movie character rather than our own reality. Yep. When we don't want to deal with reality, it's easy to tap out and you know just numb out with the news or social media or some other distraction because then we don't know the price of a real relationship, especially the one with ourselves. So I have to look at my escapisms and go, what are these escapisms that I'm coming up against wow, and actually address work. it? So the escapisms for me might be sports talk radio. I'm not even watching the games. But I'm listening to stupid sports talk radio for no reason other than I don't want to face this insecurity or this uncomfortable situation. So I have a co-creator. Now I'm looking at my escapisms. And the best thing I do for my escapisms is I start my morning ritual right away, starting with my five-minute journal. What am I grateful for? What am I setting my attention for? Getting my productivity planner and then making sure I'm picking up my guitar, just like something that's nourishing to my soul. Uh, do a little bit of a workout, uh, make coffee, have a, a, a sip of coffee with my wife. And then all of a sudden I've set up my day in a way that I started without numbness or escapism or avoiding who I am. I found a way to increase my power. Yeah, that's powerful. That's like people do their cold shower in the morning. They wake, wake their ass up. Right, this yeah. is way, way, way less, way more comfortable, but powerful. Right. I love it. So the, you eliminate the escapism, and then it yep. doesn't have a chance to enter into your body. Right. And right if that escapism that. is more than I can handle, yep. then it's about conversations with people that are either my peer or a mentor so I don't suffer that alone. And then I'm going to get out of that About faster. the escapism? About, about I'm facing an insecurity. I'm struggling. I don't want to deal with this. I'm concerned. And most people are afraid to admit those things because they yep. think it makes them look weak when we're vulnerable. But it's actually the access point to getting past that insecurity. It's what you're working on. So it's like, you know, and I don't care if that's assisted with therapy or whether it's a conversation with someone that you respect or whatever it is. But what I find is that moves me out of it so fast. And now I'm back into the third step, which is... Any excuse that comes up, it's time to delegate all that completely off my plate. So, give me a couple examples of those. All right. So, I mean, this is—I'll give you stupid examples. I'll give you the more profound, subtle examples. Either one. Like, there's a lot of people that go like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to do that," but I got to—I got to—I uh, was committed to clean the garage, so I got to clean out the garage. So it's like they don't really need to do that, but it becomes that like thing yep. that's—it's their excuse. So yep. they're like, "Oh, you know what I need to do? Um, I, I haven't returned this phone call. I got to check email." Or it's all the busy work that comes into our life. And I'm talking about permanently deleting some of this stuff. Got so, it. like, I just, I don't have email. I mean, I have, like, one private email that if people email me and they're like, hey, you never responded to that. I'm like, well, I, I'm a texter because I could get back to that quick and I, I don't have anyone's agenda to tell me what to do. Wow. Every okay. other email goes to someone on my team and I don't respond to it. Okay. So that was just a way because I noticed that if I didn't delegate that, it was an easy way not to write. It was an easy way not to perform. And then, yeah. and then when I'm delegation, I'm also looking at that co-creation at the next level. So I'm going, all right, I need to rehearse, but I want to rehearse on my terms. So when I did November 15th of 2020, start writing the comedy special, film it April 15th of 2021, that's a short period of time. I don't want to go to comedy clubs and do a three-minute open mic. So I set up five Zooms a week. Zoom comedy is harder than live comedy because of the delay. The delay, yeah. And if I could be good at Zoom comedy, I could be good on stage. So five to six every day, I'm doing that. So I had to delegate anything that I would normally do from five to six. So delegation becomes this thing that removes our excuses when we face that escapism. And then the final step is whatever vision we have, I still feel, feel like we'll be limited based upon our capabilities. So then I look at collaboration where I leverage the capabilities of people that in the areas that I'm not adequate are extraordinary. 
So that would be Marty telling me, hey, look, I'll, I'll consult you on your project. And what I want you to do is figure out your happy accidents on stage. Don't let cameras bother you and don't let slip-ups bother you. That will be the magic that we capture that becomes the best part of the special. The slip-ups. Right. And then he's like, and That's good. I don't like the, the venue that you chose. We're going to have a, a venue scout find a better venue that has a balcony and better shots. And we're bringing in these eight camera guys. And this guy, Simon, that was a, won an Emmy for lighting on Dancing with the Stars. And Tom Lenz that did Chappelle's setup. I'm like, okay, this is much bigger than where I was at in collaboration because I'm leveraging the best skills in the world to elevate me. But if I didn't deal with my escapism, no chance I'm having that conversation. Got it. If I'm not you're so busy watching a show on Netflix, no chance I have time to do those things. This is huge. So it's it's co-create. One other person supports and inspires you. Yep. Someone that brings accountability to move out of scarcity into creation. Eliminate your escapisms. Escapism sometimes are where people are hiding from their problems or running from their problems. Hiding is playing not to lose. Running is playing to win. If you create the game before you begin, you've already won. So that's the key: is to win before because you're not playing someone else's game. You define your own rules up front. And then you've already won from day one. And the work is the win. You're not looking for just an outcome. The process becomes the enjoyment. I'm not going, oh, I just crushed on stage. That'll be good for the, for the special. I'm going, I crushed on stage and that was a fun night. I'm going to enjoy that night because that's part of the process. It's not just... And, and when we start to focus on the tasks instead of just the outcomes and master the tasks and find a romantic nature in those tasks, the outcomes become secondary and a byproduct of who we are as human beings. And so those escapisms were tough because I had a shit set the night before. I had this idea. I think I heard Bill Burr say, I love Bill Burr. Have a re- he's amazing. And so he's like, oh, I have a really good rehearsal the, the night before, like, so that you just feel good before you film your special. Well, I had a rehearsal of only Zoom people, all my friends who couldn't fly in. And half of them are on mute or they're going off their camera. And, and I'm just like in my head and I'm tired. And it was just terrible because what I learned is in comedy, if I'm having a thought in my head that I'm not speaking out loud, it's never funny. You get to hear the first thing I think. And if I don't give you the first thing I think, it destroys the enjoyment of the moment and it destroys the funny. So I was in my head the whole time. And at the end, Sally Hogg said, I see you have her book back there. She goes, hey, this is really extraordinary and it takes a lot of courage and just tell us about your process. And for 10 minutes, I talk about the process and my manager Barry goes, who was that guy the last 10 minutes? That was who needs to show up tomorrow. He goes, there was something different before that. And I said, oh yeah, I was really present and I wasn't in my head. He goes, all right, figure it out. So the next morning, I was like, every thought I have, the audience will hear. And I was on stage for four hours. I'd never done more than a 33 minute set and now I'm on stage for four hours. And at one point I, I go, I'm tired in my head. So I just stopped, had a drink of water. I go, it's awesome that you guys are here tonight truly feels like love. This is so much fun. And I went back into my jokes. My son You couldn't yawned. even have scripted that. Yeah, my son yawned. I'm like, oh my God, my son just yawned. How great is it that I'm filming a special and I can't even keep his, in, you know, he's a yawning. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh God, my aunt's here. Remember when I peed the, peed the bed at your house because I was worried about World War III? And what happened was everyone felt connected yep. and I wasn't having a separate conversation. Yep. So that's the work that comes with, you know, dealing with escapisms and insecurities and then just being willing to be present. A hundred percent. I, I, what, what I love about what I, what I love about this, this idea is a couple seconds ago. What you just did, I watched you come alive right here, and I yeah. watched you talk about what you're passionate about. And is it lighting people up? Is it making them laugh, or is it making them learn, or is it both? It's a little bit of both, but I will say, I'm really working to just 
enjoy myself. And if people want to come along for the ride, that's cool too. So you secretly want people to enjoy their lives? Look, man, I... Not I, secretly, but outwardly. I, I go do... I did Carson Wealth Group last week. Yep. And there were a few jokes that didn't land. And I would just... I was so comfortable in those moments. And I said, are you guys not laughing because you feel like you're a bad person if you laugh at that joke? I know you're all Midwestern people. I said, but it's cool. It's cool. You don't have to laugh for me and enjoy myself. And I just had a conversation with them. And by the end, they were all enjoying the hell out of it. And we had these great conversations afterwards. But yeah, I think that there's this part of the brain, uh, the frontal lobe, that's broca. And uh, if you can break through broca, broca is like, well, what's this like? What do I already know? How do I compare this? If I can get past comparison, I can get to the reality of where they can truly feel connected and learn something. And that's really cool. Because then there's a totally different yep. conversation. And look, after I speak, people are like, that dude's super intense. Some people approach me, some don't. You approach me, because it's never intense for you. But after comedy, I get 10 times the number of conversations. So you're saying more people are comfortable listening to you. You found you're using comedy as no different than if I use the skills that I've learned over the years. I'm not going to take the time to get into right now, but right. people watching understand my background with right. communication. You're taking that up a whole nother level. So years of speaking, communicating, and then adding this element of laughter, uh, increasing the amount. I mean, I mean, every drug in the world. I mean, you got the dopamine for the excitement, the fear of is he going to pick on me with the cortisol, right? You're connecting with themselves. You get the oxytocin. You get the whole room coming together. Yeah. Freaking straight up drug dealer, dude. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's 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 exciting. Uh, watch it, watching you be able to do this. So what is what's been your biggest win like out of all this? Like what's been your your hottest best. Win, and I don't mean the moment like from stage. I don't yeah. mean like the biggest payday. I don't mean the biggest, pay and a payday doesn't have to be financial. Payday could be um, the compliment. Enjoyment, yeah. um, what has been the biggest win in the last several years being on this journey? My uh, my 14 year old son opened for me on the night of the special. He's doing comedy too? Yeah, and I don't know if that's what his career path will be. I'm not pushing Wait, hold on, it. hold on. He's doing comedy? He's Dude. learning it at this age? Yeah, I was just watching a, a comedian I love, and I'm going to go see when he comes to Utah in November. But his opener in this massive auditorium was not even close to as good as my son's opener. It was a similar joke, okay? The joke was, hey, we wore masks during COVID, and I didn't realize how bad my breath stinks. Well, my son said, can't we just get like a, a mint inside of these things? And he's like, I, that's why I'm not good at wearing it. I just don't want to smell my breath all day. He says, so if you're, if you're you know, a germaphobe, well, you probably shouldn't touch me. He goes, you know what? I'm a 14-year-old boy. You definitely shouldn't be touching me. <laughs> right? So he comes with him with this pedophile angle. And the other one was just like talking about bad breath. I'm like, dude, my son crushed it. And by the way, he elevated the energy of the room before I went up. So when I, when I came up, the crowd was like, oh, my God, that kid just crushed. And it just brought like such a sense of calm and fun. And, and I envisioned over and over walking out on that stage that night that filmed. And then I just have this like thing I do at the very end where it's like a poem. And when I said that, man, I was just so, it was so in the moment. It felt so good. And the fact that my son opened for me and it was just, I don't know, it was, that was a, that was definitely a highlight, but, but I get to, my kids get to watch me struggle. They get to watch me like not know my lines at times or try to figure out a joke and have my wife be like, I wouldn't say that on stage. I think you got some work to do. You got to fight through whether you're going to listen to her or not. So, too. so they don't just watch like Garrett, the businessman. And the way that people treat me in business, which is yep. very respectful and yep. good, and I'm an author, to more than anything is them watching me do the one-man show. Now, first off, my oldest son isn't interested in most things I'm interested in, but if the comedy special's on, he stops and watches the whole thing. 
That means there's an inner desire and they're also somewhere. So I'm like, so that's really cool, right? So it's it's brought together, and I've I've had my my cousins, I've had uncles, I've had like you know my parents, my in laws. They've all come and watched me do this. So I get to just share and be more connected to my family than ever before because I have to. <laughs> I have to be a better receiver and ask for support and then have that support feel like love because they're laughing. They're having a good time. They're, they're with you and ask like, you I everything. I didn't know you had this. They're like, I, like my father-in-law stood up in the balcony because I told this joke at the end. I'm like, oh, this is going to be awkward with my father-in-law here. And he just stood up and clapped. And then he, he had no clue that I could do this, right? So it's really cool that, that I'm just out of my comfort zone and enjoying it. And enjoying that process. I mean, it's not all enjoyable. It's not enjoyable to fill an audience Never as a rookie. Nobody knows that. Nobody these, knows that part. Oh, man. That was, and it's been like a little miracle every time because guys like yep. you go, yep. I got your back, dude. I'm going to invite people. I'm going to show up. I'm yep. going to tell everybody about yep. it. And without that, without good friends like that, yep. I would be performing to, like, I, when we were in Vegas, the, the guy emails and he's like, hey, we're, we're a few days out. Nobody's bought tickets from our site. I'm like, oh, cool. We sold plenty from our site. But that's all because it's all you guys rallying yep. around it, you know? So I, I love I love. It. I mean, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you what's interesting about you saying this about comedy. It got me clicking. I really appreciate the, uh, the kind words. I don't think I could have got my wife to sit down at the end of the night and watch a financial episode of yours, even yeah. if it was funny. But the fact that you just did comedy is the gateway drug to get somebody involved. And the last thing I'm going to say is this, because I know you love inspiring and watching people grow. Your your son, yeah. did you sit down with him with a pen and paper and go, here's how to be a comedian, or did he just watch you live? All right, so he just watched it. So he just watched it. And, and when he learned sarcasm, I felt like my life got better. <laughs> so <laughs> one day... I'm just laying down with my wife, and he comes over and cuddles with us. He's probably 12 at this time. He's like, uh, Mom, is that your leg? I'm like, no, son, that's my dick. <laughs> and he just busts out laughing, right? I mean, it's like so inappropriate. And then like anytime he gets like he gets something that does well, I'm like, dude, I'm amazed. I never even thought you'd be able to leave the house. Like, you know, and, yeah, just, yeah. and we just tease each other. So you're motivating like, him through sarcasm. Yeah, and he and he brings he just pushes right back on me. He's like he's like, I can't believe that people laughed tonight. Like I, I was surprised. So you're building his confidence. Yeah, because like and then he'll like so the first night he ever did comedy was at Wise Guys Ogden, my favorite hometown club. And I'm sitting there nervous because I'm trying new material. And it's his first time up. I'm like, hey, you want to run through your stuff? He's like, no, it's cool. You want to run through yours? I'm like, yeah. So I'm running through my jokes with him. He's encouraging me. He's stone cold. He's out talking to the crowd before. He gets up there. They laugh because he's got charisma. He's like, I didn't even say anything funny. What are you guys doing? Like, he's, you know, it's just really cool to watch. And when all of my family with the one-man show, which has really deep messages in it, and I act out four characters, and I you know, play guitar in it, and I do spoken word, because that's what we need is more 44-year-old white rappers, you know? Um, but like, my sister just got a tattoo with the name of the play. And my, my little nephew comes and watches it, and he knows the four characters, and he knows which character he is, and he knows which characters his parents are, so they understand their money persona from the time they're young. My, my, my uh, youngest son's always like, Hey, man, I just watched uh, Parks and Rec, and I think I know who the four personas are. Here's this person, this person, this. Hey, I just watched The Office, and here's the four personas. And I'm like, So they're finding it everywhere. So how cool is that, that like these kids are getting something? They're not, it's not me saying, let me tell you about money. Let me tell you about finance. It's just happening because they're bringing it to me because it's engaging and entertaining enough for them. I think it could be entertaining and engaging for the world 
if I do this right. So, so how do we get, I, I love this, how do we get everyone in front of the four personas? How, how do we, what's, yeah. what's the way we talked about? You've had a million different, you've been sharing this yeah. stuff for a while. GarrettGunderson.com forward slash quiz. Okay, so there's the quiz. Yeah, no, you, there's no uh, cost for it or anything like okay. that. I think right now there's probably an opt-in. In my new book, I'm not even going to have people opt-in. I'm just going to give, give it to it the to world. Them. Yep. But okay. uh, I think right now it's What like, happens after they know the personas? Because I, I, I understand the personas. I've done I've, some videos that yep. um, give them a little bit more depth. And I have a digital course that goes in really depth with a playbook and an audio that goes along with it so you can understand the different questions that are inside of that persona's mind and how their winning persona would look to answer that versus the shadow persona. And look, it's not that we're all of any one persona. Based upon extreme circumstances, we might revert back to the persona we were yep. when we were children. I switch back and forth. Yeah, I go, I, like, I'm a miser when things are re feel really chaotic and out of control. Yep. Like, I'm like, well, maybe I should cut back. Maybe I should spend less. Maybe I shouldn't go out. Like, but I realize that's, it's that's, a go -to. The, that's it's a go -to. the trap. Yep, it's a go-to. I'm, I'm I've gone through enough yep. that I can go, oh, that's not going to help. Yep. But back in the day, that's what I would have went to. Yep. And my wife said, you were no fun. And my kid's <laughs> favorite thing to do in the world is to hear stories of me the miser. Like when my, my father-in-law was like, hey, if you want to move into our basement rent-free when I first got married, he goes, that's cool. So I tell my wife, I'm like, your dad said we can move in the basement rent-free. She's like, sex-free if you think that's where I'm living. Right, <laughs> but the kids love hearing that story. Or one Christmas, I bought her a, a case for her phone, but it didn't fit her phone. It was just cheap. It was on the dollar rack. She's like, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm like, oh, you can just take it out when you answer. She's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like These are the stories my kids love to hear because they don't know that guy. But that's who I was. We've been that guy, though, so you can relate yeah. to that guy. But the best part is one day my, my oldest was like, well, why was dad like that? My wife goes, it's just the best how he knew. It, it, it's the best he knew to provide for the family at the yep. time. There was an old version of you. And I was like, oh, God, that's so helpful and healing because I was still judging myself for it. Really? Up to that point? Yeah, because, you know, one time my wife said, well, we've been married 20 years. And, like, for her, she's only been married to one man. But, like, I've been, this is my, my 27th version. You know, got it. And so she's like, "Yeah, that first year was the worst year." I was like, "Why?" She's like, "I was a teacher. You wouldn't even let me spend money on the classroom. You know, everything was about budgeting. Everything." Sucked. Oh, like, you were that boring financial planner. Yeah, dude, Dang. I was, I was, I was bought into that. Oh. I was following Susie the and Dave, the, man. the prudential, the prudential. I, was like, oh, I read the Millionaire Next Door. I'm yeah. gonna be a broke, miserable millionaire. Yeah. I'll read, I'll read, I'll read, I'll read to my shoes. Yeah, yeah, that was that was me. I, I love it. Well, I, mean, I love this version of you. I got to tell you, I've watched the transition in our, in our half a decade or almost three quarters of a decade. I've known you right now. And I've got to tell you, it's been awesome watching this. Your liveness is incredible. Uh, I wish we could go on for a, another decade, but I'm excited to see the show tonight. And we've got stuff we've got to do. So the next big steps for everybody, you'd say, if you were to give anybody just some big advice, they're watching this right now. And if anybody got to yeah. this point, there's two things that I, want, that I believe they want from you. Number one is they want you to be that step one for them. I'm just telling you right now they're watching this. Some of them yeah. have, have me already, but it would be great for you to be an additional step Step one of like the accountability. What would you tell them to do right now? One thing, and then just in their life to step into whatever it is, comedy or whatever to step into. And number two is, yeah. and number two is just really what to do when it comes to their wealth and finances and everything. And we'll, uh, we'll close up shop from there. So this is Put You on the Spot, Comedian. All right, so if you go to garrettgunderson.com forward slash comedy, you can download this book. For okay. free. Okay. And you can also download my most popular book of all time, What Would the Rockefellers Do? For oh, I love free. that book. I love that yeah. book. Yep. It was crazy. I just had a mentor who used to just shit on me all the time back in the day. He's like, I don't know why people are paying you so much money. You know, just because I was young in my 20s yep. and he's old. And, he, and then I met with him three weeks ago because I was doing comedy in Dallas. And he showed up with What Would the Rockefellers Do? Marked up from cover to cover. He goes, My financial planner gave me this. He says, This is the best book on money. I now buy it for. Every person I know, and he showed me stacks in his car. I'm like, it's crazy. 
to wow. me. So it's really it was really cool. Like now we're back in a really good relationship. Yeah, yeah, it's great through all that. Um, but but you can have both those books. This one, uh, Killing Sacred Cows, is philosophical. How do you get permission to succeed when it comes to finance and avoid the traps and missteps that destroy wealth? Yep. What would the Rockefellers do is ridiculously practical. It's very simple. It's kind of a one-trick pony through half of the book that says, if you're going to save money, here's the place to store it. Not where to invest long-term, but here's where you store it so you get better returns than a yep. savings account. You protect it from liability yep. and bankruptcy and taxes. And then what do you do to pass on a legacy like the Rockefellers? So that's that book. You can have those as, as a great guide. Um, my company I sold, Wealth Factory, has actually grown substantially since I sold it because you got away from it. <laughs> because I got away from it. I was uh, treating it too boutique. So there's great resources there. You can go to wealthfactory.com forward slash private if you want to build a financial team, yet you don't have a huge amount of money. If you're worth hundreds of millions of dollars, Wealth Factory is not for you. Yep. If you are earning decent money, but you don't know how to keep more of what you make, they've got a yeah, brilliant got great team. programs. Um, Still running events and stuff? They aren't running events as often, but I am actually running an event coming up. Okay. Um, this one's for people worth, not. it doesn't matter how much you're worth, but it, it, it's tax strategies for people that make at least $650,000 of taxable income. Got it. But can't be W-2 because there's not a lot I can do for you. But business owners making 650000 and up, they can just email me, Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T, at freeflow.group, and you know that doesn't go to me. Nope. We all, nope, we all figure you delegate. that out. You delegate. Garrett You've free, already told everyone. Garrett at freeflow.group, not dot group dot com. I know yeah. this is confusing for some of the old school people. Garrett uh, at freeflow.group. Wow, dot I don't he know. probably knows about dot groups. Yeah, so. dot groups. So, Garrett, and then you can ask about that, and we can get you some information. And uh, and but that's like we're doing tax arbitrage all day long. I'll, I'll tell some jokes. We're gonna do a comedy show that night, but we're oh, wow. just gonna put a lot of money in people's pockets. I love it. Last person that we uh, that I talked to one on one saved a million dollars in the first ten minutes. So that's not. How to make him smile, make yeah. him laugh, to listen to um, your jokes better. And and but I'll leave with this: vision is different than a goal or an objective. So to get past average, you understand better than anyone, we have to get to a place that's beyond our current capabilities or what we think is our current capabilities. And we need to suspend three things. How much money we have, how much time we have, and how much ability we have. Because that's all stuff that we can collaborate with other people if we're clear enough about our vision. Vision is the rarest commodity. The rarest commodity in the world. And it drives all value and dollars follow value. So if we can create a vision that's so compelling it would take our lifetime to accomplish it, we create a life we don't want to retire from. And we create a win because our vision is our win that we live into. So look to collaborate, look to co-create, eliminate your escapism, delegate along the way so that you have more capacity and you know do something that's a bit uncertain. I love it. And I, I got to tell you the example. This is so cool watching this because watching you do this inspires me. I, it takes a lot to, I, I get inspired by lots of things, but just watching you live, watching this transition really inspires me. There's all kinds of things that I'm working on. I'm gonna apply what it is you're sharing and I picked up some great stuff today. My biggest excitement thing that I got out of today was was the recalibrating something that I believe about the way that we live affects the people around us. And this, you didn't have to teach your child comedy. He just, he, it, osmosis through yep. the way that you live, enjoy, he's gonna enjoy his life more if he chooses to. That'll yep. be his choice. You made your marriage even more exciting. You made your relationships better and everything else. So you're just a prime testament of like living the life that you wanna live impacts the people the greatest way and, and against the things you shared of just work your ass off the rest of your life, you will be miserable for the rest of your life. So right. find a way to live the way you wanna live. You'll impact the people in your life a lot better than just saving money and only taking them on vacation. Hard work and the wrong philosophy equals misery.
Yep, I love it. We'll we'll end with that. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks, Thank brother. you for having Appreciate having you. us out. And definitely take a moment. Uh, we'll put the links. We'll make sure you get access to all of those. Make certain to get the book. Uh, get this book definitely from a philosophical standpoint. Also, definitely get the practical book uh, about the Rockefellers. But the really cool thing I'm just going to tell everyone is get the quiz. Learn, learn, learn because you are going to literally take apart every TV show, everything you do, and it's going to be massively powerful. So appreciate it, and uh, catch you on the next Average Suck Show. Well, thanks for joining us for the Average Suck Show. And the big question people ask is like, Michael, what is next? And the answer is simple. Get Average Sucks, my brand new book. And the reason why I want you to have this is if there's things you want in your life and for some reason you've said to yourself, why am I holding back? Why am I not getting what I want? I know I'm capable of more. This book answers all of that and more. So go to averagesucks.com. Check out all the other stuff on the page. Got a bunch of bonuses for you. Get the book, read the book. And most importantly, follow the instructions. They're very simple. You'll finish this little book in, uh, in a couple hours. Real easy to read. And it's going to start showing you how to get more of what you want in this world. So AverageSucks.com and catch us on the next Average Sucks show.